there are two manners of looking at this book I've found. Number one, have you ever had a blanket that you really liked? You're reading and you just kind of curl up in it. Comfortable. There's a word that uh, I found in the South. It's called a comforter. Big, thick blanket you put on there. It's comfortable. And then this month reminds me of the other way of interpreting or looking at this book, and that's a Halloween fear tale. Now, I want the blanket. I want to look at this book as the blanket, the comforter, the way that God comforts his people, even in perilous times. Now, there are some perilous times mentioned in here, but God is overall, ruling overall, in absolute control, and nothing falls out that he hasn't ordained. So, I want the comforter. I want the blanket. And as we read through this first chapter tonight, I just want to, uh, I would like us to notice the number of ways that the Lord comforts us in this chapter alone. And this is just chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we notice that that word revelation is found in another place where it's translated there, a light to lighten the Gentiles. So this is my book of enlightenment. Enlightenment. It's in light to lighten the Gentiles. Now, the next phrase, which God gave. Now, I like that too. This whole book is the book which God gave. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave. Now, all the books God gave. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that's just the way God gave his word. He used men to do that. They were secretaries. They sit down or were walking along and they wrote down exactly what the Holy Spirit gave them. He did not open it up for discussion. He gave them the word of God. Now we have a translation of it. And I like it in my vernacular because Greek and Hebrew is difficult to read. It's just a difficult... I'll never forget looking up one word in my Hebrew dictionary and I worked and I worked and I worked and then I remembered they write their things backwards. <laughs> Made a lot more sense when I started at the backward side of that word and went across. Well, I realized then I would never, ever, ever master anything about the Hebrew language. As I've shared before, I know a little Jew, or is a little Hebrew and he runs a bread store. So. <laughs> All right. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants. Now that's a good word too. I like that word, servants. <clears throat> to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And if he's going to show it, it's for our good and for his glory, whatever it is. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Here's a message, John, I'm giving it to you. And John was faithful to write it down. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. What a statement is made there in verse 2. And we looked at that, how John was used to bear record of the word of God. And that's what a believer's commission is today, to bear record of the word of God. And the, the testimony of Jesus Christ, he is the God-man. He is the eternal son of God, and he is, the God, he is the son of man. He's the one that God in perfect union brought together with human flesh. And that, that's the perfect marriage, is the God-man. He brought him together in perfect union for our redemption. Blessed is he that readeth. And that word blessed, we saw how often it's translated in you don't get there without the Lord causing it to happen. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And that's this, this blessing. We're not going to have this kind of blessing unless the Holy Spirit gives it to us. And we're not going to be able, as it says here, to read with comprehension unless the Lord opens it up to us. And, and uh, to hear the words of the prophecy, a lot of hearing going on, 
But blessed is he that hath ears to hear. The Spirit provides those ears. And then it says, and keep those things. My goodness, if that was my responsibility, I'd have lost it yesterday. <laughs> Given to me today. We just can't keep it like we should. But he does. Then it goes on to tell us, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you in peace from him which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ. Now just, just listen and read with me. The number of ways the Lord comforts his people in this one chapter from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten from the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us, underline that, and washed us, loosed us from our sins in his own blood. What a comfort that has always been to the church. He has washed us, loosed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests. Now that's good. I love that. He's made us kings and priests. And it goes on to say there, um, He hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now that just really helps me. He has dominion forever and ever. He's never given up His dominion. He's always held it. Behold, he cometh. Now, can you just imagine being set aside on the Isle of Patmos and this vision is given to you, this word is given to you, and you're just so caught up in it that you say, Behold, he cometh. Now, that's for us, too. I don't think there was any grander moments in my growing up years than on Sunday when we could invite our grandparents, Grandma and Granddad Cook, to come eat dinner with us. And once they said yes, the word went among the kids, they're coming, they're coming. That was the greatest event we could have on Sunday. Now, church didn't mean that much to me then, but to have the grandparents in the home. Oh, we loved it. Grandma and granddad, they're coming, they're coming. Can you just put that? Behold, he cometh. A promise he made to his church. As you've seen him go, so shall he return. He cometh. And then he says there, and every eye shall see him. And they that pierced him. Now, who are those? I've always had the lost people blamed for that. Who pierced him? We pierced him. We'll see him whom we pierced. It was our sins that pierced him. And then all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Those who are outside of faith, those who are outside of Christ, they're going to wail at his coming. But John said, behold, he cometh. And we'll see him whom we pierced. It was our sin that pierced the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 8, I'm Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the, and beginning and the ending. Saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, and this is why he was exiled, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. No better reason to be exiled. He wasn't a thief. He wasn't a criminal. He was a preacher of righteousness. And that's why they put him there. Now, I kind of feel for a while, he says, what has happened to me until this took place? And then he knew why. This whole book was given to him there. And then it says there, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He's having church. <laughs> there on the Isle of Patmos, exiled, remembering that great resurrection day. He was there when it took place. He could recount it. He could go over it in his mind. We went and looked. There was an empty tomb. We didn't know what was going on for a while. And then it was brought to our attention. And all we could do is say, Hallelujah. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. 
And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and his girt about the paps with a golden girdle, and his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. My, if you don't read this and get the hair on the back of your neck, just crawl just a little. Oh, what a sight. He saw his Savior. Feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, now he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and this didn't happen there. Oh, the glory of the glorified Savior. I saw him, and I fell at his feet as dead. I was overwhelmed by the glory of my Savior. He was one of the three on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw him in his transfigured glory. But when he saw him in his glory, he fell down as dead. And now comfort. He laid his hand on me, his right hand on me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and death. Now that's comfort. I was told all my life the devil has those. And then the book said the Lord has them. That's just comfort. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Now, I'd like to go back and spend just a little bit of time tonight, beginning with verse 4, and go through this. Uh, we might get through verse 4. It, it's just like a fountain that's so full. It's just running over. There's a big head of water. He said here, John to the seven churches... Now, I am convinced that he's not talking about seven church ages. He's talking about the church in its summation, its totality. Now, if we follow this through here, we're going to see that he found the Lord says, I have a few things against thee on every one of those churches except for one. Now, boy, we better clean up our act, hadn't we? We better clean up our act. And then, I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms 119. 119. As much as we want to, and as much as we try, we can't clean up our act enough. All it does is make us depend on Jesus Christ the more. He is the one that makes us accepted in the beloved. He is the one that makes us accepted to the Father. He is the one that makes our uh, life in the church an enjoyable life. I don't want to go through my church life, and I'm talking about the church, the, the church, the universal body of Christ. I don't want to go through my life feeling blue and down about being in that church. I want it to be lifted up. I want it to be a glorious day every day that God in his purpose of grace shared with me the gospel through a preacher and he converted me, he saved me, he gave me his regeneration and it's the best thing that ever happened to me and I want to enjoy it every day of my life. I don't want to read the second and third chapters and have the Lord say, I've got someone against you and you better clean up your act because I'll never get there. I have a Savior that has so. Now turn here in Psalm, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Uh, this is not going to be used to beat you over the head. This is going to be used to say, thank God for God. 
Thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God that He lifted us up and made us accepted, even though we're sinners to the core, sinners by nature and practice and even by choice. He still has lifted us up. And here in Psalm 119 and verse 117, not very many of those 117 verses in a chapter or a psalm in the Bible, but notice this. Psalm 117 excuse me, 119, verse 117, hold thou me up and I shall be safe. I found that and I says, hallelujah. <laughs> you hold me up, Lord, and I'll be safe. Come whatever comes. High water, heat, <laughs> I'll be safe. You hold me up and I'll be safe. Oh, the comfort that that just swelled in me. That God holds us up and we are now safe. goes on to say there, And I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. The only way that I could ever have respect to his statutes is he's holding me up. He's given me a new heart. He's given me a new mind. He's given me a love for the Lord Jesus that I never had by nature. But I'm still a sinner by nature, a still a sinner by practice, and still a sinner by choice. And I need his righteousness and sanctification every day. I can't add one iota to it. He's the only one that can provide the necessity that I need when I stand before God Almighty. And turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. And we read these words. Oh, it is something. Seven churches of Asia. There's some instruction there. But thank God Almighty. Just like the law was given to Israel, these requirements given to us, trust Christ. Oh my, he's the only one that can hold us up and make us safe. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now it doesn't mean we quit. It means whenever we're permitted to do something good, it's from God. And if you've ever done anything good, it's from God. Now, if we've ever done anything bad, that's us. If, since, it's us. But if we've ever, ever done anything good, it's from God. He's the only one that can cause us to do good. Now, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5. Who are we are, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm so thankful that we're kept by the power of God. Now we're going to go through, we're going to see that from the beginning of our walk, there's been times we've been in, as the church of Smyrna, as the church of Philadelphia, as the church of Ephesus. And we're just not going to say that's a church age. That's just the way it is. It is. In this church, every day, there's things that God would like to have different. And the only reason that we'll ever stand before him is he presents us spotless. He will never make it on our own. Turn with me, if you would, uh, back to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 4. I like this verse of Scripture. It's just something. How many new verses of Scripture I've found in my Bible recently. <laughs> I've just read over them and read over them, and nothing struck me. But boy, this, this is just good. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. As we think of the seven churches of Asia. It's not by might. Zechariah chapter 4. 4, verse 6, the word of the Lord says this. It doesn't. <laughs> Does it? Okay. Oh, there we are. Okay. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So all the effort we try to squeeze out, that's not how we're going to get the job done. And by all of the work we perform, we're not going to get righteous, but it's by his spirit, saith the Lord. He's the one that holds us up. 
He's the one that sustains us. He's the one that makes us acceptable. He's the one that's given us his grace. He's the one that's given us his peace. He's the one that's given us his joy. He's the one that's given us his hope. And it is through him and through him alone we are able to even pray. We know not how to pray as we ought, but he helpeth our infirmities by words or that can't even be uttered. All right, go back with me to there to the book of Revelation. Revelation. Now, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, we find the order that is throughout the Bible. The order. We'll never, ever, ever have peace without grace. Notice that. And you just find this order throughout the scriptures. God doesn't change it. We must have grace. And that's God's unmerited favor. We must have him. We must have his intervention. We must have him stopping us. He must have him arresting us. It must be his grace. It says there in verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace. That's the way it comes. Grace first and then peace. It's never turned around. We don't get peace without his grace. His grace is what changes us, makes us, molds us. It's what he does with us, in us, and for us. And as a result of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's a permanent peace. It's not a day peace or a week peace or a, or a month peace or a year's peace. It's a daily peace with God. It's being settled in him. This doesn't mean that we don't have rises and falls, but he's at peace with us, and therefore we're at peace with him. It's a peace that he gives us, a peace that passeth all understanding. It's incomprehensible that he could give worms peace. We sing it in a song, but he gives worms peace with him. There's no retaliation. He's not keeping track and saying, well, I'm going to smash him at the fifth sin. <laughs> There's peace. And then it tells us there in verse 4, Grace be unto you and peace. Now from him. Now there's three aspects about from him right in that verse. They're comfort to God's people. Every one of these aspects. Set, there are three things that's mentioned about him. It's from him which is, which was, and which is to come. Now I want you to turn back with me to the book of Exodus. You know where I'm going. Exodus chapter 3. This is a question that Moses asked. Who do I tell the children of Israel? He's scared to death. <laughs> Who am I going to tell them sent me? And here in the book of Exodus, the Lord God Almighty shared with Moses what name he would share. And so we find over there, which is, this is a always present, it's never in the past tense. It's always present. It was present in the days of, of Abraham. It was present in the days of Moses. It was present in the days of David. This term is always present from beginning to end. It's never in the past tense. And that just shares a quality about our Savior that we find great delight in. That is, he is the ever-present one. Book of Exodus, chapter 3, and there in verse 14, it says, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent you. It is an ever-present present relationship that God had with his people throughout all ages. He is am. <laughs> I am. And it's interesting how many times the Lord used that term in the New Testament, I am. But one of the most significant ones is, the, the King James records, I am he, but the he has been added for clarification when that troop of soldiers came to take the Lord Jesus, 
And they, he asked, who do you seek? And he said, they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. He didn't say I'm he, I am. He used the Greek word for this Hebrew word. And they found themselves with their nose in the dirt. He put them down. He, they had handprints all over them. And they couldn't figure out what happened that moment. But he demonstrated to them, I lay down my life. No man takes it from me. I am the ever-present I am. He was I am to, Moses, or to Abraham. He was I am to Abel. He is I am to Adam. And today he's the I am. He's the I am to us. And tomorrow, he's the I am to us too. And in a hundred years, if he should tarry, he's still the I am. This is what the Lord said there. You tell them, this verse 4, he says, that which is. It's an ever constant present. And then he says, which was. Now, I love to look at the eternality of the Lord, of God. Ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. John 1 1. This is who this book is from. The I am, that which is. We heard a sermon several years ago up at camp called The Isness of the Lord. <laughs> he is. He never was. He is. He's ever-present. I am that I am. He didn't say I is, or I was, I will be. I am. Now, notice here in John 1.1, 1, 1, he's speaking again, and he says, which was. From eternity. We, we use terms that we don't even understand, and they're really a little bit contradictory about our God. The eternal, uh, before eternity began, <laughs> he was. There was never, a, I, we use the word time, and there was no time. We just cannot comprehend it. But notice this, in the beginning was the word. I can't comprehend it, but I'm just saying, Yahoo. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's so delightful to the church to know that he is the constant I am, but at the same time, he is the absolute was. He was before the world began. He was in the council halls of eternity. He was forever. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I've never got a hold of that. I believe it. But it just is beyond my ability to comprehend. The eternality of God Almighty. To be forever and ever. And always in absolute control. To have the words written about them in their covenant mercy... None can stay his hand or say, what doest thou? He does his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. The angels bow before him and say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In eternity past, even when that great angel tried to usurp authority, God just went... You're barking up the wrong tree. I got my chain on you. Men rise up against God. He's always was. And then it says, thirdly, which is to come. Oh, he's coming back for his church. Coming back for his saints. Coming back in glory. Coming back to collect them all. Coming back to get them from the four winds. Calling them out of the four winds. Uh, everywhere. 
whether they're at the bottom of the ocean, whether they've been buried for 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 years, cemeteries moved and houses placed over the top, he's going to bring back every one of his children. Not one will be lost. They will all be united. Their spirits that are sitting before the throne of God will be united with their bodies, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He is promised to come back. He is the I Am, and He was the God before the foundation of the world, but He has promised the church He will come back in power and great glory for the church. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of of Acts chapter 20, oh, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's go there first. 2 Timothy chapter 4. He's promised, and he will fulfill. And the church has been waiting, 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 waiting. Uh, not just sitting idly by, preaching the gospel, because there is only one thing, one thing that hinders the coming of the Lord. It's not rebuilding anything. It's not having some city somewhere. It is the long-suffering of the Lord means salvation. Somewhere on this earth, there's still sheep to be saved. And when that last one is brought in, the fold is complete. He will come down as the great shepherd, the chief shepherd and the good shepherd, and collect all his sheep and he'll have them with him for eternity, worshiping him who is and was and is to come. Now notice here, first, Second Timothy chapter 4. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. I charge ye, the Lord Jesus Christ shall come, and he shall judge the quick, the living, and the dead. Now it's interesting, the only place in all the Bible that you will ever find that there's a judgment, a thousand year judgment between the people is in people's minds. I can show you ten places in the scripture where it says that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Simultaneously. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew, chapter 22. I love this passage of scripture. This just shows us our Lord Jesus Christ and power doing what he said he will do. Matthew, chapter 22. He is going to come. As you saw him go, so shall he return. But when he comes, there's no second chance. There's no secrets. It's going to be with loud, thunderous coming. And here in Matthew chapter 22, verse 31, the scriptures share these words about it. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, ye uh, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, the quick. Those who have met the first resurrection in Jesus Christ. And then in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25 Verse 33, he's coming in power and great glory. Every eye shall see him. Every tongue shall confess. And here it gives us a, a demonstration of what's going to take place. The Lord's going to come back for his own, but he's going to judge. Now, his people have already been judged in Christ. He already says here, welcome to the kingdom prepared for me from the foundation of the world. I like that. You know, it's not ours it's his to give us. And he chose the residence of that city. Notice here, Matthew chapter 25, verse 33. The scriptures share this. He's going to, he is, which is, which was, and which is to come, 
verse here, verse uh, 33, the scripture says, and he shall say, and he shall set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. Now, when I was down in, they called it Bible school. But what they had done is taken their Bible and just ripped out hundreds of pages and were teaching a lie. They taught a lie about salvation. They taught lies about God. They taught lies about his power. They taught lies about... They just lied about God. And the only way you can do that is just rip pages out of your Bible. And this was brought up. This is the judgment of the nations. Well, look at the word. It's judgment of the people. And when are you going to judge America? Now, we started off pretty good, but I wouldn't give a three-cent piece for us today. We're just glad to be alive. We're just glad to exist. The, we have really thrown in the towel, haven't we? As a country. Now, if he's going to judge us now, I don't want to be on the left-hand side. <laughs> this is the judgment of people. Daniel said he's going to raise the, the quick and the dead. And we'll read that in just a moment. But notice here. He said on sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. And then in that same passage, look at verse 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the lost. This is those without Christ. These are on the left-hand side, and they're lined up. We got the sheep, and we got the goats, and the Lord has made the differentiation between them. And he set those on the right-hand side, and what's it say to them? Uh... Verse 34, then shall the king say unto them on the right hand. And that's one reason the Lord touched John with his right hand. Over in Revelation chapter 1, when he was like dead, he touched him very clearly. Once us to understand it was with his right hand. Come ye blessed of my father into the, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now that's what he's always said to his sheep. To his goats, to the goats, he said, depart. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. And here he says, uh, depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then in verse 46, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous to life eternal. He shall come. He shall separate the people. The sheep will be on the right hand, the goats on the left hand, and he will speak to them. And if you have Christ, welcome. If you don't, depart. And that's serious. And it's going to happen. And he will find glory even in that. I, I take comfort, though. He finds no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No pleasure. Now, there's sometimes I could almost find pleasure in people, that, that nitwit that uh, 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 robbed my daughter down in Florida with a pistol. I could go down there today and pistol whip him and find great pleasure in it. I just, forgive me, Lord. But I was so angry at him, I could have just grabbed a hold of him and throttled him. He put a 22 pistol in my daughter's face put her life on the line over some a few dollars. I could just, but the Lord, I'm thankful it says with regard to him in eternity, I find no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But I find pleasure in my sheep because I've anointed them. I've set them aside. They're mine from time and for eternity. I bought them. I sent my son to redeem them. He, he is, and he was, and he shall be. He shall come again, and he shall receive his own unto himself, and they shall praise him forever and ever. And we're going to find that here in the book of Revelation so often. He's going to, they're, they're going to have pleasure in the Lord Jesus Christ and he and them. Turn with you, would, would you turn with me back to the book of Daniel? Daniel chapter 12.
Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2. There's no secret coming. He's going to come with power and great glory. He's going to shake this place up. And those who pierced him will say, thank you for coming. And those who have no part, they're going to wail. They're going to stand in judgment before him. And here in Daniel chapter two or 12 and verse 2, it says, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. We find all through the scriptures this presented as there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be a judgment and it's going to be over. And the righteous shall sit with him for eternity. Now I'm not going to go on about what is going to, we know what's going to happen to those without Christ. But the righteous shall sit with him for eternity. And we will, God's people will, the church will, Learn of his grace. Not, there won't be days, but I'm going to say this. Every day we're there, we'll learn of his grace. Learn of his grace. Magnify him for his grace and for his mercy. All right, let's go back over there to the book of Re Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4. It says there, there are seven spirits which are before his throne. Now we know that there are not seven Holy Spirits. My goodness, the people that, that declare that, they're just fools. They've got half their Bible tore out. <laughs> seven Spirits. This is symbolic language of the ministry of our Holy Spirit. This is, a, this is symbolic language. The Holy Spirit does seven things for us. He's complete in every activity he performs on the behalf of his people for the church. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. And I want to show you this. this There's seven things listed here about the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for every one because we are unable, excuse me, unable to perform these for ourselves. And it is absolutely essential that we have the Holy Spirit resting on us. He did on the Lord Jesus, and he rests on his people. Uh, I drive through Portland, I see these birds coming down the edge of a church building, trying to imitate the form of a dove resting on Jesus. My goodness. He's, he's not a dove. He's a spirit. And they that worship God must worship him in that spirit and in truth. It's not being spiritual. It is in him, the Lord Jesus. All right, Isaiah chapter 11, and there in verse 2, the Lord says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, this, this is what happened to the Lord in his personal ministry at the very beginning of his ministry. When it says uh, he went down into the water, and I've seen these pictures of John standing with a bowl out there and pouring a little water on him, sprinkling. He went down into the water and he came up out of the water. My goodness, that's so plain. And it says that the Spirit of uh, the Father spoke to him from heaven. This is my beloved Son. And the Spirit descended upon him and rested on him. And that happens to every believer. The Spirit of God seals us. We have a brand on us that we can't lose. And no one that knows anything would ever want to lose it. We've been sealed. We, he's rested on Now it goes on to say here, this, this is the aspects of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. This is what the Spirit does for us, and we desperately need every one of them. It says there, the Spirit of wisdom. I'm a fool, but He has given us wisdom. He shows us Christ. And then it says here, the Spirit of understanding. I'm an ignoramus. I've always been, when it comes to spiritual things, 
but the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to us. He's the one that showed us the revelation of Jesus Christ. The spirit of counsel. My goodness, which way should I go? Oh, Lord, thank you for your eternal, infinite counsel to your church, to your people. You counsel them every day. And then, and might, oh, to have God reveal to us that he is powerful, he's sovereign, he's king of might. And then, the spirit of knowledge. I want to know more, don't you? Oh, that's what Paul cried. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Oh, Lord, show me my Savior. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The church has been given a reverence for Jesus Christ that you can't get on your own. A reverence for the Savior. Fear for him. Not afraid of him, but a respect, a reverence. We don't say, Jesus is my co-pilot. We say, he's my pilot. Jesus, Savior, pilot me. We don't say, me and Jesus got a good thing going. I mean, the irreverence in some of that stuff. It's irreverent. Jesus has created life in me. He's made himself known as the God Almighty. And so the Holy Spirit in his completeness has shown that. He demonstrated it to Christ. He demonstrates it to us. He did it to him to show what he does to the church. And he has done that. And he continues to do that. He reveals himself in every capacity. The Holy Spirit. I hadn't been saved a month. And I realized that my job was not to beat people. If the Holy Spirit can't do it, who am I? If the Holy Spirit can't correct people, who am I? My goodness, he's one that can just get down into our heart and turn us around. He uses the word. The preachers that preach the word. But he uses the word and he'll correct us. He'll correct us. Oh, he is all powerful. He is the spirit. As we read there, there's not seven persons. It's the Spirit, seven whole, sevenfold complete gifts and graces that he gives to us. This number is specified as implying a fullness, the Holy Spirit's fullness to us. And turn with me, if you would, to the book of Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. Got a couple of verses I want to read here in Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 3. We think about the Holy Spirit's activity on the behalf of the church. Without Him, we wouldn't be born again. Without Him, we'd never heard the Word. Without Him, we'd just wander through this life and be quite religious, no doubt, and not know a thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. We'd even use His name. We'd even say we've, got, we've had some religious experience. But the Holy Spirit gives us the new birth, regeneration, here in the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 8, the scriptures share this. Zechariah, chapter 3, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. No question in the world who that is. Look at the lettering. <laughs> branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua Upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I'll remove the iniquity of that land in one day. This is the ministry of the Holy Spirit to remove iniquity in one day. And that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. What's the benefits of the everlasting covenant? All shall know me. And beside that, we get to know each other. That's the benefits of the everlasting covenant. And then in chapter 4 and verse 10, it says this, For who hath despised the day of the small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel, 
with those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou can hear the sound thereof. It, the Holy Spirit moving through this whole world, moving people to move somewhere to preach the gospel so he can call his people out of darkness. Moving where? Every in every kindred, nation, people, and tongue, the Holy Spirit moves. It says seven eyes. It's the seven aspects of the Spirit moving on behalf of the covenant of grace to save all his people from their sins. And then in Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 16. Oh, this is a good verse. You'll want to underline this one. <laughs> this is a good verse. Second Chronicles chapter 16. Talking about those seven eyes moving to and fro throughout all the earth. You can't, you just see what's happened. You can't see the wind. You don't know where it's come from. You don't know where it's going. You just see the activity. Here in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, and there in verse 9, the Lord says this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. What? To show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect before him. Whoa! To show himself strong. God's people recognize a God that is above every imagination that we can come up with. He is all powerful. He demonstrates to our heart, he's strong. And we're weak. Oh, there is such a tie between the sovereignty of God, the sovereign grace of God, and what the Holy Spirit has done to our heart. He reveals that God is strong. Undeniable. Now, we may not realize all his strength, but we'll say he's strong. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. He's strong. He's able to deal where I'm unable to deal. He is strong. Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. But the seven eyes, the eyes of the Lord, run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. The church. The church gets to know that. And I, it's sad to say, People who don't know and won't learn about that just haven't seen it. God's not revealed it. And that's just part of being saved. It's just part of having Christ. All right. Well, well, one more verse. I've got a minute. I'm a minute pastor. Romans. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 31. 31. Romans 8, 31. I want to sum this up with this verse. What shall we then say to these things? If God, <laughs> if God before us, who can be against us?